take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John, the 5th chapter. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 1122. And we're going to look this morning at the second part of a sermon that we began a few weeks ago, praying for our brothers. How do we pray for other people? How do we engage them? And, and how are we to be engaged in the aspect of prayer? What a beautiful um, song to, to set up the idea, the understanding that right where we are is where we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to begin to engage in that part of prayer. And we're going to look at that this morning and, and look at a passage of Scripture that if we don't take it in the context of the whole. Remember, I've told you before, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let Scripture say what it says and mean what it means and understand that Scripture never contradicts itself. And if we'll do that, then these passages that, that we sometimes cause people difficulties won't cause us difficulties because we'll understand them in the context of which they're written. And verses 16 and 17 are, are two verses that if you and I just take them out of context, they, they confuse us. And I really think if John had known that we were going to get where we are today in our world, he'd probably been a little more specific about what the sin is that, that leads to death. But he isn't that way. And so this morning as we look at it, uh, there's a couple of principles that we looked at um, three weeks ago when we looked at the first part of this sermon that are important for us to remember. First of all, if you are part of the body of Christ, everybody else who's a part of the body of Christ is your brother or sister. And we are to be concerned about and engaged in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Okay, that's not just people that are hanging around. We need to understand the concern that we are supposed to have for those people who are around us. Number two, not only are we to be concerned about them, but we are to be engaged in prayer for them. Intercessory prayer was one of the form foundations of the New Testament church. And so we are to be engaged in prayer for one another, and that needs to be more than just physical prayer, okay? It's not just praying for, for Aunt Martha's toe surgery or, or something like that. There needs to be spiritual prayer that we are engaging in. And the third part of that is it is to be fervent prayer. We are to ask. And we talked, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago about when, when John says ask, that it's not just a simple request, but it is a pleading. It is a, a, a bent knee, uh, fasting, praying before God, interceding. It is a fervent prayer that the child of God is to engage in on behalf of that brother or sister who may be struggling with spiritual issues. That that's the attitude that we are to bring to the life of faith. That's what we're supposed to do. And, and so when we understand that, and we understand what it looks like to really begin to express our concerns for others, John writes these verses. So we're going to look at verses 15 and 16 of 1 John chapter 5. If you have your Bibles open there, if you would, please stand with me this morning as we honor God's word as we read it together. In verse 16 if anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not bring death, he should ask, and God will give life to him to those who commit sin that doesn't bring death. There is sin that brings death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that does not bring death. You may be seated, and may God speak to our hearts today through his word. We understand, if we remember where John is, John is an old pastor by this time, okay? He is... 
uh, probably well into his 80s, probably his 90s. His physical life is coming to an end. He is one of the last remaining, if not the last remaining, original disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay, so he is, he is at the end of his physical life. His eternity is fixing to begin with his Lord and Savior, and he's writing as an aged scholar to his church, to the young people and families and, and, and people that he's pastored, wanting to instruct them and to teach them about something that is the foundation of the believer's life. And I really believe if you and I could begin to really grasp the concept of intercessory prayer for one another, we would begin to revolutionize this world. We'd begin to change the things that God wants us to do. Now, the first thing that this passage teaches us is what is the sin that brings death? I mean, John says, pray for a person, and you, you read into verse 16, everyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not bring death. He should ask, and God will give life to him. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We see our brothers and sisters stumbling into sin. We ought to really begin to plead for God to, to change their life, to, to redeem their heart, to restore them. And you know, when you think about it, we just sang a hymn, Jesus paid it all. And, and in that uh, context of that second line, it says, thy power, and, thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spot and melt the heart of stone. God alone is the one that can change hearts. It's not gonna be my words, it's not gonna be your words, it's not gonna be our interaction with people. It's gonna be God that works through us to change the hearts of people, okay? And so when we understand that, John comes in here and he says in the second part of verse 16, now, there is a sin that brings death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. There are three theories that have worked their way through history about what this sin is. Some people want to say that this is what Paul talked about when he wrote to the Corinthian church about the Lord's Supper. He said, there's some of you who have died or some of you who are sick because you've participated in the Lord's Supper the wrong way. You took communion without a right heart. And, and he says, and some have died. And so there's some people who through the years have interpreted what John says here to be that type of sin. That, that as believers, you know, we, we just kind of go through the motions. We don't take seriously the things of faith. We just kind of make a mockery of our faith. We go to church on Sunday, but we don't live it on Monday or Tuesday. And, and that certainly is the case with a lot of people today. And, and Paul says, because of that, there's some of you have grown sick and some of you have died, okay? But that's not the sin that's being talked about here because Paul's talking about a physical death. And let me tell you something. Every one of you has a terminal disease, okay? It's called sin, Okay, and because we all are terminal in our sin, every single one of us is pushing the gas pedal towards death. Okay, if you're here today, you're closer to death today than you were yesterday. And if God, as Matt prayed, gives you opportunity to wake up tomorrow morning, gives you another day to put your feet on the ground, you're closer to death tomorrow than you were today. We're all dying. Our bodies are decaying, and that is a direct result of sin that entered this world in Genesis 3 in the fall of man where God said to, or man said to God, I don't need you anymore, okay? So that's not the sin that Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about physical death. Now, the second idea is that of apostasy. And John has written in this book about people who at first proclaimed part of the faith and then left. They walked away from the faith. And John says, really, those people were never a part of us anyway. The people who were part of the faith persevere. They stay the course. He said, those people were really never a part of us anyway. And, and this probably could be that type of sin, somebody who denies the faith. But more than likely, the third case is this is a heretical denial that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In fact, Jesus himself said 
that there was a sin uh, that could not be forgiven, and that was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and so more than likely, this sin is someone who denies that Jesus Christ is the one and only, only begotten, never to be duplicated, Son of the living God. Okay, so, so when we understand that sin, John says there is a sin that brings spiritual death, and it's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Those who deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Those are the people who have committed this type of sin. Now hear me, that's not an unbeliever. That's not somebody who's never been approached with the gospel. That's not who this is. This is somebody who said, you know what, I've heard that, and I don't believe that, and I don't want to have anything to do with that. And so what we need to understand is what is John's instruction about those people? Well, look at what he says. There is a sin that brings death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. What John says is, is that we are to leave those people right where we find them. We are to leave them in the hands of God. Why? Because only God can change a heart. We are to put those people in God's hands and say, God, you're going to have to deal with them. You're going to have to work on them. You're going to have to touch them you're going to have to do something in their life. And, and, and so John teaches us that that's what we're, we're supposed to do. Now, the chances are that in this congregation this morning, there are some of you who are wondering, have I committed that sin? Have I said no to God enough in my life that I've committed the unpardonable sin? Have I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit? Have I, have I done something that God says you deserve spiritual death? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you're worried about that. But let me tell you something. If you're worried about that, it's not you. Do you understand that? See, if you're worried about that sin, it means that there's something in you that is drawing you to want the things of God. Paul tells us in Galatians 5, 17, that the spirit can't desire the things of the flesh and the flesh can't desire the things of the spirit. If you want to be better for God, if you want more of Christ in your life, if, there are areas, if you're worried about any sin in your life, and you should be, this sin is not your sin. Because the spirit of the living God in you is saying, look, there is more for you. There is something I want for you. There is something that I desire for you. The, John's talking about people who didn't care. They knew they had committed this sin. They knew they had walked away from Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And they didn't care. So if you care, take that as a good sign. It means that you're under conviction. Now, what happens to us a lot of times when we get under conviction is we say, whew, that was a really bad feeling, and I don't want that anymore, so I'm not going back to church because the church made me feel bad. Nope, the church didn't make you feel bad, okay? And no, the pastor didn't step on your toes, all right? I get told that every Sunday. Somebody says, boy, pastor, you really got my toes today, and I try to remind them I didn't get yours until I got mine first, but reality is I didn't get your toes. God did and if God stepped on your toes, you better start paying attention. Okay? If you're convicted, praise God that you are convicted of sin in your life. Hallelujah. That means that you're God's child, and it means that he cares about you. That, man, why did your parents whip you? I know why my parents whipped me. I never got a whipping I didn't deserve. I didn't get a few I did deserve. I weaseled out of a few, okay? 
But they didn't just beat me to beat me. Well, my dad might have occasionally, but <laughs> most of the time not. Most of the time it's because they were trying to correct something in my life that was out of line. They cared about me. And that's exactly why God disciplines us. He cares about who we are. This sin is the sin we see in Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted to be important in God's eyes and, 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 and more, cared more about being important in man's eyes than they did God's eyes. And so they lied. And they could lie to the Holy Spirit with no conviction. And they could lie to the Holy Spirit with no concern. And because of that, and watch this, after the cross, after the resurrection, under grace, there was still judgment for blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And they were immediately appointed to death because they lied to God and didn't care that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. That's the sin. Now the second thing, what do we do? How should we understand it? Well, the second part of verse 16, he says, there is a sin that brings death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. John here is talking, as we've, taught, as we've laid the foundation, he's talking about spiritual death. And that spiritual death can come in a couple of different ways. One of those can be, uh, very simply, a denial that Jesus Christ is God's son. Okay, it's denying that Christ is the Christ. The other is the point of a hardened heart. That you can say no, that God can, can, can hammer and hammer and hammer. And this is for the person who's not a child of God. That he constantly comes and says, look, I want this for your life. I want this for your life. And you say no enough to God. That's Pharaoh. Okay, Pharaoh in, in Egypt that we read about in Exodus, he said no enough to God that God finally said, I'm done. I've told you the story before about Johnny Trantham, the senior adult guy that was in my, our, our church that we pastored in Santa Fe, Texas. And, man, Johnny was one of those guys. I loved him. He looked like my granddad, reminded me of my granddad. I would go to Johnny Trantham's house every week, sometimes twice a week. I would pray with Johnny. I would share the gospel with Johnny. Johnny was faithful in church every single Sunday. Johnny would sit. And we had a little shotgun church. And, and man, I would stand and preach. And, and, and Johnny sat about where Miss Pat's sitting, okay, about right there. It's where he sat every single Sunday. He and Lois sat about right there. Every single Sunday, and Johnny would lock in, and he would listen, and he would, man, I would preach, and, and, and man, there were days that I gave the invitation for nobody but Johnny, because I knew that he was under conviction, and I would go share in his house, and I would go pray with him, and he would just tell me, Pastor, I'm, I'm just not there, and I was like, Johnny, man, you don't, you don't got a lot of time left, buddy, I mean, I'm not trying to be, I was a little more couth then than I am now, as I've gotten older, I, I care less about upsetting you, okay, and so I, I tried to be gentle, and, and would say stuff. And I wanted to go, Johnny, you're an old man. You need to get this right, you know. But I, I didn't say it that way. And, man, I went and I went and I went. His wife would plead and Lois would pray. She was one of the most godly women that I've ever known in my life. And there was one Sunday that, that man, I, I had preached and I had, I had prayed. And, 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 Johnny, man, I was standing here doing the invitation. I was just locked. I didn't look at anybody else. I was locked in on Johnny. And Johnny was locked. Man, I, his knuckles were white. He was holding the pew. He was doing everything he could. God was working on his heart. And this is why, guys, the invitation to me is so important. If you need to get up and go to the bathroom, do that while I'm preaching. During the invitation, please, please be still. Be still, okay? But, but, man, somebody on about the second or third row, and I might have gone a little long that way, I don't, long that day. I, I don't know. I, 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 I can do that sometimes. And, and, but somebody just couldn't hold it any longer. And they got up and they walked. And when they walked, they broke 
Johnny and I's gaze. And when they, I was able to look at Johnny again, he was looking down, and he never moved. And from that moment forward, I had no burden for Johnny anymore. I couldn't pray for him. I tried to pray, and my mind would wander. I tried to go visit, and there was just nothing there. And I really believe that that was a point where God said, I'm done. I'm done. So those are the two things that John talks about here, spiritual death. And this is what he says. How are we supposed to deal with it? Well, I'm not saying he should pray about that. John says, I'm not saying you ought to pray. But he's also not saying you shouldn't pray. Okay? So what I believe is, is whatever we're supposed to do with that is whatever the Holy Spirit prompts you to do, do it. If you're prompted to pray, pray. If you're prompted not to pray, find something else to pray about. Okay? That's what we are supposed to do. Now, there are a couple of principles that we need to understand. In 1 Samuel 10, God, Israel has asked for a king. And God tries to tell them, you don't want a king because this is what a king's going to do. And they say, no, we want a king. And they found out why they did want a king. We're fixing to find out why we don't want a king, okay? But, but and that's a whole other story. I'll, I'm going to touch on that in just a minute. But, but um, Samuel goes to Saul in 1 Samuel 10, and he says to him, God's called you to be king. Saul says, no, I don't want to be king. And if you read the story, it says God changed Saul's heart. He touched his heart. He anointed his heart. And all of a sudden, Saul said, okay, I'll embrace the role that God gave me. And then you read on down through the story, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 26, and it says there that all the men whom God had touched their hearts followed Saul. And there were other men, it says, who didn't. And so what we understand from that is God alone can touch a heart. It's not the preacher, it's not the words, it's not the music. God alone touches hearts. God's responsibility is to people's hearts. Our responsibility is to be faithful. And so God touches hearts. And so my job when I see this situation is to know three things. First of all, we have not been given a commission to be a sin hunter. It's not your job or my job to go looking for sin in people's lives. That's not our job. We've not been commissioned to be sin hunters. We're not to investigate sin. We're, we're not to, to pursue sin. Our job is to pray for people. That's what we have been commissioned to do. Number two, I am to pray and I am to intercede for those people. Prayer and intercessory prayer was a vital component of the New Testament church's ministry and it was more than physical prayer. Don't just pray. Hey guys, we need to be praying for Jessica, okay? I'm telling you, we need to pray for her therapy and her strength and all those things to happen. But we need to be praying for more than just Jessica's physical strength, okay? You may have people who are sick and you won't pray for them because they're sick. Okay, man, pray for their sickness, but pray for their spiritual health too. Okay, we ought to be engaging not just in physical prayer. We ought to be praying for spiritual things. That's the, third, that's the second part of this, that we engage and pray for people in spiritual ways. And number three, you don't know, nor do I know, when somebody is at the point where God has said, I'm done. So pray. We don't know where people are. I don't know what you're struggling with unless you tell me. So my job is to pray. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's my commission. That's your commission. The church has been commissioned to pray, to intercede for people. And, and when we do that, the third thing that this passage teaches us in verse 17 is our purpose, pray. 
Verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that does not bring death. Now, John was combating two heresies when he wrote this letter. The first heresy was the heresy of perfectionism. And perfectionism taught that once you become a Christian, you don't sin anymore. And so if you have any struggle with sin in your life, if you're not perfect, and the world's adopted this strategy, okay? See, Satan's just taking the heresy here and put it into the world. Because the world's looking at us going, well, they're not perfect. You're right. And that was a heresy that John was combating, okay, was perfectionism. Because there were some believers that were teaching, the moment you come to faith in Christ, you don't sin anymore. And so if you're still sinning, then you're not saved. Okay, that was perfectionism. John answers that in 1 John 1, 8, where he says, if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, but if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As believers, perfectionism is the goal, but we ain't gonna get there. We're not gonna get there this side of glory. That's the goal. I work for holiness. I work to be more like Christ. I, I, I study and pray and fast and do all those things to show myself a workman who correctly handles the word of truth. I do all of that, but I'm not perfect, and I'm not going to be perfect, and you're not going to be perfect. So quit looking for perfection and holding everybody else to the standard perfection that you don't hold yourself to. The second heresy was antinomianism, and, and antinomianism taught that once you're a believer, you're under grace and you don't sin anymore because your spirit doesn't sin. What sins is the flesh and you're not of the flesh anymore so you can act however you want to act and there's some believers today that have adopted that. You can act however you want to act and that's really not you. That's just the flesh. It's not you. And so grace covers that. And Paul says, or John says, that's stupid. Verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin. So he answers both of those. You're not going to be perfect, but you're supposed to try. And if you sin, stop. Okay? That's what he's saying. All unrighteousness is sin, and, and what we need to do is to pray for people. Sin, that word there for sin means to miss the mark, therefore miss the goal of the prize or the purpose for life. Now here's the deal. When you see someone doing something patently wrong, sinning, your job is pray. Their sin doesn't need your comments. Their sin doesn't need your criticism. Their sin doesn't need your critique. Their sin needs you to pray. Jesus said it this way, the Gospel of John, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What would happen? What would happen to the New Testament church if we really began to get this right? This past week, uh, Larry and I and Matt and Josh went out and hung out at, at the lodge out here north of town just to pray a little bit and vision a little bit and plan a little bit. And, and while I was there, I was prompted just to kind of do a little math and, and challenge us a little bit. And I, I just took the, the estimated population of Eastland proper, the city limits of Eastland, okay? Jonah was given the city of Nineveh, 120,000 people, three days walk across it. We've been given the city of Eastland, 4,000 people and maybe an eight days walk across it, okay? Uh, if you walk slow, really, really slow, okay? Okay. Um, 
4,000 people. On any given Sunday, I took the 10 evangelical churches. I didn't count the Hispanic missions or anything, but the 10 evangelical churches in Eastland City proper. I threw in Olden and, Lake, and Leon, River Baptist, uh, Leon River Cowboy Church because they're, they're really a part of Eastland. So I threw in those 10 churches, 4,000 people. I estimated, we estimated the attendance of those churches, and we were liberal in their estimation. How many people actually attend worship on a given Sunday? And what we came up with was a number of a little over 1,500, almost 1,600 people on a given Sunday who are engaged in worship and connected to a church in Eastland City proper. Then I took out 1,500, half of the people who have absolutely no care, concern, or never going to be engaged in a church. And the number we came up with is this. There are 944 people in Eastland, Texas, inside the city limits today on any given Sunday who are not engaged, connected, or reached by any church. Ten churches, that's almost 100 people per church that the attendance would increase if we'd get this right. I didn't count Eastland County. There's 18,000. We'll do the math there. We worry about the mission field, folks. The mission field's in our backyard. If we could begin to engage and connect and pray for people and love people, not criticize them, not critique them, not comment about them, but pray for them the way the Word of God says we're supposed to pray, what would happen? Now, we are watching a presidential election the likes of which we have never seen. We have four leading candidates Two on the Republican side, two on the Democratic side, and they are acting like a bunch of 12-year-olds on a playground. I, I never thought that I would live to see a day where the highest, what used to be the most respected office in the world would be treated with the contempt with which we see it being treated today. Okay? I mean, they're all, all for them. He said it first. Well, she did it to me. Well, he stopped, I'll stop. And we criticize him. And we should. But. Are they being any different than what they've seen the church be for the last 50 years in America? By this. All men will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Your prayer for one another. See, God set up the church to be a city on a hill, a light that would show the path. But the reality is we're no different than they are in our marriages, in our homes, in our priorities, in our finances, where we go and what we do, how we treat one another. And the world looks and says, why would I want to be a part? We're just seeing the world model us instead of us changing the world. And the only way we're going to change the world is we're not. See, we can't change hearts. Thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spot and melt. A heart of stone. God's got to do it. 
and the vehicle that he said, this is how I want to do it, is when my church prays. So will you pray? There are some of us here this morning, and, and, and man, there is, there is somebody that God has burdened your heart for, and, and man, we have lamented their struggle. Maybe it's a child or a grandchild. Man, I told you a few weeks ago, I shared with you about my nephew, Austin, and man, I have talked about Austin, and I have struggled with Austin, and I have, I have labored with Austin, and I have worried about Austin, but man, I have not interceded for Austin the way that I should pray. And you know what happened to me three weeks ago? I began to pray. I began to fast and pray for Austin. Now, you say, well, bro, I'm looking at you. You ain't been fasting a whole lot. I've been fasting from my phone. One day a week, I don't even pick up my phone. I don't text. I don't tweet. I don't check Instagram. I'm not on Facebook. I just put my phone up. If somebody calls me and I need to take the call, I'll take the call. But I pray for my nephew. My nephew doesn't need my criticism. He doesn't need me to comment about his sin. He knows his sin. God needs to change his heart. And what God says is going to change his heart is when I pray. I need to pray. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that you're, man, you're carrying a burden for. Will you bring them to the altar? Will you pray? Will you say God changed their heart? Maybe you're here this morning, you're struggling with a sin. Man, lust or envy or anger or bitterness or jealousy or distrust or hurt. Man, you're, you're struggling with it. Praise God that you're struggling with it. Because that means that the spirit within you is working. Count the conviction as joy. Don't go, oh man, no, go, yes, wow, I'm God's child. And then do something about it. Lay it down. Let him heal it. Restore it. Let it go and give it to him. He convicted you of it because he wants to take it from you. So let him. Some of you here this morning, and the honest truth is you're just not saved. And right now the Holy Spirit is saying, look, I want this for you more than anything else in all the world. You have no peace. You're trying to pile it up, man. You're trying to do it. Man, I'm going to church. I'm trying to give. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I just don't feel saved. You're not going to. It's not the stuff you do. It's a heart surrendered. It's accepting him as Lord and Savior. It's saying, I quit, and I trust grace. And right now, what you need to do is you just need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's real simple. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the one and only, only begotten Son of God and you'll call upon him and say, save me, it's easy. He does. And that's what he wants for you right now. In just a moment, we're going to stand and worship him. We're going to have a song of invitation. The altar's open. I'm going to challenge you to, to, to move and, man, come pray for somebody or to come lay down a burden, maybe to join the church. This is where God's putting you. Maybe it's, it's, it's just to come and say, I've asked Christ to be Lord of my life, now what? Whatever it is, God's doing. Will you truly let him be Lord in your life? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that you are Lord and you are God. You're not auditioning for the job. It is yours. 
You are the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And Father, you have ordained that we be here this morning before you. So God, I pray now that you would speak to hearts. I pray now you would challenge. I pray now, God, you would move your church. And I pray, Father, for a revival to begin that, that, that the likes of which heaven alone has only seen. God, move us, shape us, form us after your one and only, only begotten, never to be duplicated son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name today that we pray. Amen.